0: Well, last week, Dave, Alan and I couldn't all come together and meet in person like we usually do on Friday evening for a youth and children's ministry prayer, um, praying for the school, praying for uh, what God is going to do in our midst. Um, So instead, we met together on Zoom and everyone's used to Zoom now, so... um, yeah, you're, you're all accustomed to that. But we had a slightly unusual experience from, from my perspective. Um, we connected Alan on his phone initially, and then um, we managed to connect him on the computer as well. And so we had Alan there twice on the computer and uh, Dave and myself there once. We saw, absolutely, a wonderful blessing. We saw Alan in, in more of his spectacular glory. Um, we managed to have these two angles happening at once, and uh, it was it was lovely. Uh, I'm not sure that Alan's prayers counted twice because it was there twice, um, but it, it was glorious. So in our series, Why the Cross, um, this week we're kind of adding a third Zoom screen, a third perspective. Um, we've seen, firstly, the moral influence theory of why the cross and how... It helps to shape us, our values and our culture, to be more Christ-like in the way that we live. And then last week um, at the commissioning service, Dave preached to us and brought us the redemption perspective, adding the sense that Christ paid to redeem us, to buy us back, to set us free from all wickedness and sin. And this week we go further in a similar vein. Uh, with the Christus Victor theory of atonement. That's Christ the victor, the victorious Christ. Our world is more complex and rich than we can take in with our senses. For years, since the Enlightenment, the Western worldview tells us that science has the answers for everything, that uh, the only things that are going on that we can't really see with our eyes and sense with our fingers and our scent, smell and everything are actually observable using tools, using microscopes, telescopes, CT scans, MRIs, that sort of thing. And the Western world's tried to claim that our values and our beliefs, everything that makes us us, can and should be based on visible, measurable evidence. But in our series last year, The Air We Breathe, we saw that values like equality are actually a fruit of the Jesus revolution and they cannot be proven by empirical evidence or simply uh, an evolutionary perspective on the world. We actually need more than science to say that a person with a severe disability and an Olympic athlete are of equal dignity and worth. And the same to say that men and women are equal, that children and the elderly are equal, the rich and the poor, the slave and the free are all equal and all deserve to be shown love and value. The Enlightenment view has limited our sense of depth and wonder in life in other ways too. Our Western worldview can learn a lot from other parts of the world which actually acknowledge a spiritual realm as well as the physical, emotional and intellectual. In much of the world, there is a recognition that there are actually powers and principalities, unseen elements at work in the world around us. Now, I'm not saying that we should live in fear of unseen powers at work around us because, as we'll see today... Jesus has defeated them. Their power and influence is only as much as God allows it. This week was quite an emotional one for me. I spent some time weeping this week. The whole concept of Christus Victor, the victory of Christ, is is powerful and wonderful and amazing, but it's also deep and disturbing. I wept for myself, for others who experience pain and deep struggles in life, for family members and friends who support them. And I wept looking again at the pain that Jesus went through in his life, his temptations, his anxious distress as he sweated drops like drops of blood from his brow and as he prayed in the garden before being crucified and looking again at his battle against sin, death, the devil, and human evil. I started by asking the question, what is victory? And I'm just going to grab the slide clicker. So I said, what is victory? And to me, when I begin thinking about victory, my sort of default thinking goes to like a gold medal winner or a World Cup-winning team, an army that wins the battle, or a knight in shining armour. I can sort of resonate with those things as victorious. I actually searched up images of victory on Unsplash and Google, and I found a bunch of people having sort of conquered a mountain, or finished a race, or hit the winning shot booted the victorious goal or achieved a promotion, having conquered the enemy at war or, or won gold at the Olympics and possibly even having spelt the most tricky, trickiest words correctly. Now, not to brag, but I won a few spelling competitions and math competitions in my youth. I, I won a few running races too and, and a few football seasons with my team. It's probably the team that did it. Um... So I feel like I can picture standing at the middle, at the highest point of the podium, receiving the recognition, the applause, the medals and prizes. But having said that, I've also experienced some crushing defeats. And now as I, as I look at my life and see a huge difference between the sort of images that I see of victory and what I see in the mirror... Um, it's it's a challenge. When I look at myself, I see this body riddled with arthritis that limits what I can do. I can't exercise like I used to. I can't make my fingers and feet do the things that I expect them to. I've also got Meniere's disease, which um, this week I had quite a big wobble, and the Meniere's can sort of strike at any random time. Uh, with anything from a bit more dizziness than normal to full-on world-spinning nausea and vomiting. One of my first attacks had me lying on the floor because the world was spinning so far out of control. I was suddenly deaf in one ear. I had roaring tinnitus, and then whenever I tried to move, I was sick. And so I get pretty anxious when I suddenly start hearing tinnitus in my other ear. In my good ear, that's not in my deaf ear. And because of various events in life, I also sometimes experience anxiety attacks that seem very random from random triggers that are logically don't make a lot of sense. Uh, They seem to be small and insignificant triggers, but somehow they strike a deep chord in me. All of this to say there seems to be a huge gap between what the world sees as victory or success and what I experience in my life. I'm not trying to get your sympathy just to point out and paint the picture that I know some struggle in life. And I think you can probably relate. There is a brokenness, a pain that affects all of us at different points in our lives. We all have those limitations, those burdens and struggles. But then when we come to look at Jesus, when we come to see the point of Jesus' victory, then what does that look like? What does victory look like for the Son of God? Well, you know that Jesus was prophetically foretold in the first page or two of the Bible that when the deceiver, the snake Satan, tricked the first man and woman, God brought his judgment. And he said that one of the man and woman's descendants would do battle and the snake would bite his heel and he would crush its head. And so then, thousands of years later, come Jesus. And the first victory I think of between Jesus and Satan is at the beginning of his ministry in the desert. And so picture this. Jesus is famished. After 40 days of fasting, he is weak. He then comes to fight a battle out of that place of weakness. A battle with Satan, the deceiver, the tempter. Now, whether Satan actually appears or the battle takes place in Jesus' mind... Whether he's literally taken to the places of temptation or it's just a gripping image that fills his senses, Jesus fought the battle, bringing the word of God to bear against all the attacks of the enemy. But we tend to forget that he was exceedingly weak. He was famished and exhausted. So when he said to Satan, no, I will not turn this stone into bread, We need to bear in mind, he was weak from 40 days of fasting. But he says, but the word of God says, people do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And as he says that, we need to see him with the sunburnt, dry, cracked lips, with a tongue that can barely lubricate itself with a foggy brain from lack of food with barely the physical strength to stand let alone resemble any of those victorious sort of images this victory doesn't look anything like the images of victory that spring to my mind when i think what victory is how about you Now, there were plenty of other victories in Jesus' ministry that look quite a lot like my images of victory. When he heals someone, it's spectacular, it's amazing. When he stills the storm with a word. When he miraculously feeds a huge crowd. And when he preaches a captivating, funny, touching, moving, life-changing message. Some of Jesus' messages would have, I'm certain, been received with applause. Or there may have been crowds laughing when he made word plays and puns or used ridiculous images like a camel going through the eye of a needle. And all of these small victories are a bit like the victories that we might picture. But I think that, to me, the big one, the cross and the resurrection, looks a whole lot more like that battle in the desert. So what does victory look like to you? If victory looks like achieving that promotion, winning a good outcome on the stock market, achieving a personal best at the gym or in a race, is that the victorious life? What is real victory? It depends on who we are and what God has allowed into our lives, how we respond to our circumstances, what opportunities or challenges we choose to take up. A victory for some people could be getting out of bed before midday. A victory could be holding your tongue and not speaking badly of someone. It could be showing kindness to that person who just rubs you the wrong way. Or it could be serving behind the scenes, unnoticed by anyone but God. Victory could be saying no to a temptation that wouldn't tempt 99% of the world, but somehow it sits in front of you and takes your attention far more than you'd be willing to admit. Victory could be saying to yourself and to God, I forgive them. I forgive the people who've hurt me knowingly or unknowingly. Victory could be that despite being abused as a child or being bullied, being stomped on by those who don't want you around, despite all of the challenges that you've had in life, to simply show up, to love those around you and to try to connect with God, to be recharged. On the road to the cross, Jesus faced many temptations to gain victory by another path aside from the cross. When Jesus told his disciples that he was going to suffer and die, one time Peter rebuked him saying, never Jesus, that shall never happen to you. But Jesus took that as a temptation from the enemy and he said, get behind me, Satan. In our reading that Bruce brought us and Jesus is approaching the cross and he said now my soul is troubled and what shall I say father save me from this hour no it was for this very reason I came to this hour father glorify your name Jesus was tempted to victory in a way other than the cross but he said no to that temptation it was for this reason I came Father, glorify your name. It's kind of peculiar to us. In the same way that seeing death on the cross could be seen as a victory, seeing death on the cross as somehow glorious, giving glory to God is kind of a backwards, upside-down idea. But then everyone hears the voice of God thundering. And Jesus says, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out and I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Right there on the cross, we see the judgment of God and we see the mercy of God. We see the love of God. Judgment is coming on the world at the cross. The prince of this world, that is Satan, will be driven out, defeated by the cross. And Jesus will bring all people to himself through being raised on the cross. Jesus' victory on the cross looks very different to the world's definition of victory. There, after being flogged, after being whipped and bloodied and beaten, being mocked and scorned, after carrying the cross through the town and being nailed through hand and foot, hoisted up in front of the crowds of people. Jesus, in his weakness, uses his last hours to show love to his mother, to welcome a rebel into his kingdom. And he uses the tiny bit of remaining energy to forgive his torturers. And finally, he declares that his mission is complete. It is finished. But how did Jesus say that single word to Telesti? It is finished. Was it like the wonderful song The Power of the Cross? It says, Now the daylight flees, now the ground beneath quakes as it maker bows his head. The curtain torn in two, dead are raised to life, finished the victory cry. This the power of the cross. The word to Telesti finished was often written across a bill that had been paid or a servant might come to their master saying I've, I've done the job you asked me to do to tell us it carries with it the idea of Jesus successfully completing God's plan on the cross but again it was Jesus' final word from the cross He was a broken man, losing blood, harassed and helpless in every worldly sense. He was weakened, battered, bruised, defeated by every human measure. Just the effort of lifting his body on the nails through his hands and feet in order to take the pressure from his torso to take an intake of breath would have been excruciating. And that's just the pain, the abuse, the mocking, the, the, the stuff on the surface that humans could see. And we cannot possibly imagine the weight of the sins of the world upon him. But when Jesus said to Telestai, it meant the job is done. The payment is complete. The work is over. The sin of humanity has been paid in full. And I just think quite possible, possibly, rather than being a victory cry, that word may have crept over his bloodied cry, cracked dry lips in little more than a whisper. Does that look like victory to you? To the soldiers, it was just another rebel defeated, dead. To the disciples, it was weakness. Their dreams destroyed, their hopes shattered. It was heartbreaking and soul crushing. Does that look like victory? Because as victories go, that was actually the big one. This is the victory of God we're talking about over the enemies of sin, death, and the devil. So I think surely Jesus' vision of victory should shape our idea of victory more than the world's definition. After Jesus' victory on the cross, on the third day, he was raised to life again. And John Stott says, we are not to regard the cross as defeat and the resurrection as victory. Rather, the cross was the victory won and the resurrection, the victory endorsed, proclaimed and demonstrated. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on him because death had already been defeated. And then we're told the wonderful news that that victory is for us. It's through Jesus' death, his victory over sin, death, and the devil, that we are somehow included in his victory. Jesus is the champion who fights the battle for us. He's our teammate who scores the winning goal. He's the one who defeats the strong man who's held us captive. He's the one who slays the giant like Goliath on our behalf. And then his victory counts for us. <coughs> One image that came up in Unsplash for victory was very encouraging. After a whole lot of people having conquered mountains, etc., there was this image of a person with their hands raised celebrating at the foot of the cross. And that's where we are. We get to see Jesus' victory, and then knowing that it counts for us, we can cheer and celebrate at what he's done when Jesus defeats the giant, crushes the head of the snake and breaks the chains that have held us locked in, then we get to shout out, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus, you've done it. Yes, Jesus, you are awesome. And that's our participation in Jesus' victory. We're like the audience at the Olympics who, when we see Jesus representing our nation, Um, he gets the gold medal and we say, yes, we won gold. Well, we didn't actually win gold, did we? Because we're sitting up, eating our popcorn and watching. But we can legitimately say we won because we're on his team. Then because of Jesus' victory, we can claim that we have overcome the spiritual and the visible powers that might come against us. 1 John 4, verse 4 says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome the enemies because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Jesus is greater than the enemy. He proved it on the cross. It was validated by his resurrection and it applies to all who follow him, who join in his team. And so now while there is still an enemy, an enemy, one who has a bit of power to challenge us. We have the ultimate victory in Jesus. Galatians 2 verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The victory is ours in Christ. He lives in us. And so when I have wobbles and anxiety, pain and struggles, I might be challenged. I might have a hard time of it and ask why. But in the end, I know my future is secure in the hands of the one who has the victory. I still feel that gap uh, between what victory looks like to the world and what victory is in Jesus. But I know I'm on the side of the true champion, the one who gives me a secure future and who holds me safe today. When Jesus was about to go to the cross, he said in John 16, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. How incredibly encouraging that we are on the team of the one who's overcome the enemies that would try to enslave us. He's one. And now in him, we have won. And so take heart, be encouraged. Keep fighting that good fight. Keep the faith, hold on to Christ. And as we'll sing in just a moment, the most powerful place we can be when fighting the good fight is actually on our knees in prayer. On our knees, reminding ourselves and and the world That Jesus won the victory. He's overcome. And we get to celebrate his victory and celebrate being included in that victory. Praise the Lord. Amen.